Hello and welcome back to The Giant Pod with me, Andy Rintmore. This is part two of a two-part podcast with drumming extraordinaire, Robert Bryan. Uh, this is actually the first hour of our conversation before we did the podcast that you've probably or hopefully already heard, which is part one. Uh, in this one, it, we basically just gush about the Beatles for an hour and various other parts of our record collection. Um, we enjoyed it so much being big Beatles fans here at the Giant Pod that we thought it would be fun to release it as a sort of a bonus podcast special. Uh, lots of Anoraki Beatles um, facts and discussions in this, and I'm sure all you big Beatles fans out there are going to love it. Big thanks again to Robert Bryan for basically putting in about four hours with me for these two podcasts. So uh, shout out to Rob. Uh, but yeah, before uh, I waffle on too much, let's get you guys into the giant pod. Big bonus Beatles bonanza, whatever we're going to call it. Here you go. which I just love. Home is where the hatred is. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, when you are who you are, I think I'll call it morning, pieces of a man, sign of the ages, all down you fall, the needle's eye, and the prisoner. It's a really heavy album, as you yeah. can tell from the titles, but it's a classic, man. Yeah. Absolute classic. I love it. I love it. And I also love that Sergeant Pepper um, uh, drum head that you've got behind you there. Hey, is, yeah. that, uh, is that an original Hard Day's Night? What, what's going well, on there? Do, do you know what? I mean, I found this because I've got a load of vinyl here and I've got loads more at my mum's place, which at some point I will I will bring over here at some point. Yeah. But um this this is I was I must have been about ten or eleven, and I said to my parents, I want the Hard Days Night album, because John Lennon had died the year before. Let's say it was eighty one, so I was eleven. So John Lennon was shot in eighty. The night he was shot, they Nationwide, I think, was the, the the news program. All that was all about it. And then BBC One cancelled their viewing for the night and they put on film, help, and like a documentary or something. So, of course, I'm sat there thinking, this is these are just like the monkeys. You know, oh, this is crazy because monkeys was on being repeated on um, multi-coloured swap shop. Right. And I, I used to go between uh, swap shop and Tiswas on a Saturday morning because I like both. So I used to flick <laughs> over both channels because I like both. Right. I like the an- anarchic thing of Tiswas, but I liked all the giveaways and stuff on um, and the guests because Gary Newman and Kate Bush would be on. Uh, but imagine they're on Tiswas too. But anyway, anyway, so I said to my parents, look, I'm really into the Beatles now. I really like them and I get it. And they were like, yeah, the Beatles are the band and that's where the monkeys were taking off and all that. Anyway, so um, they were playing all these songs and I just some about the song a hard day's night i felt like i'd heard it before mm. when i saw the newscast the year before and of course i went out to buy help after i saw the film but that song stuck in my head and i remember saying to my my mum when it's on the radio what is this and she had this hard day's night i said right i need the hard day's night album guys you know that's my <laughs> next thing so dad in bath went uh from in his lunch hour went to the the, 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 the shop called rival which was an old record shop in the corridor opposite the Guild Hall, which is a funky little corridor full of all cool shops. And I was expected to come back with the other one. I've got the other one somewhere, you know, with mm. all the faces, the black and white pictures. Yeah. And he came back with this, and I didn't really know what to make of it. And I looked a bit disappointed, I think. Right. But it's the, it's the American version, but it's a reissue. So I think it's a 70s reissue of the American album, which has only the original songs in the film, none of the, the other stuff, like You Can't Do That, that the other English version had, and yeah. Any Time At All and all that. And it's got the George Martin Orchestra playing excerpts with his orchestra that was in the film oh wow there's the instrumental version of this boy on here a jazzy version of a hard day's night when they're running away from the kids and and can't buy me love and it's just really cool and there's a version on here um of i'll cry instead which is also on the original uk version but this version's a few minutes longer with an extra verse which is weird ah and they did this a lot because if you listen to rubber soul yeah at the start of um uh, not I'm looking through you, or is it I'm looking, I'm looking through you? I did get out. Uh, I love that oh, song. I'm forgetting now, but one of them. There's a full start. It goes a ring, gigger, a ring, gigger, gigger, digger. Because apparently, reading about it, George Martin, you had they were nagging them capital to send the tapes, so they used to send tapes that were sort of 
almost half, not half finished, but not edited properly. So that's why the American versions before Sgt. Pepper are all cool because they've got different lengths of, like some of the tracks go on slightly, I know we're real nerds now, but some of the tracks go on slightly longer on the American versions than the English versions and stuff like that. Weird little things. (laughs) I've got, and when I was in, um, I don't know where it is now, but when I was in, um, on tour with Lorena last year or the year before, um, I picked up a copy of um, Revolver, mm. which was um, it's around somewhere, but it, it, it's a version that's uh, mono. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, the, one of the versions that they had to send back because there was a Rubber Soul version they had to send back, um, and there's a, a Revolver which is all out of whack. Again, right. it's Parlophone. It went out, but it's the, the, the mix is like you put on Taxman, it's all normal. Then the guitar solo comes on, it's like whoa. <laughs> right and tomorrow and tomorrow never knows is a completely different mix completely different oh wow it was um it was yeah yeah i i, I he's uh for, for the listener he's he's mouthing this so his wife doesn't <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it it was um yeah but, yeah um <laughs> I, I i had to, i had to do it because it was it, it, it's my favorite beatles record so yeah. i i had to have it um and uh, it, it was, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I just handed over the plastic and it was mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they, that, that shop, it was in, um, what did I just say? Vienna. Yeah, it was in Vienna. And, uh, no, Florence. Sorry, it was in Florence. And they had this shop. Seriously, I could have spent a fortune. They'd have records that they didn't want you to touch up slightly higher. There was not one CD in the shop. Right. It was completely vinyl. And they had all these Jimi Hendrix doors, you know, all the things, Miles Davis, all the things that I'd love to pass my cash over the till for, into yeah. the till. I was like, oh my God. And they had a, um, a Yesterday and Today in there as well. Right. Which was Butcher Cover, which was... Right. <laughs> I couldn't go that far. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I could have got away with that one. Right. <laughs> But it, there was one in there and I almost wanted to ask, could I touch it? But it said, like, you can't even get it don't, down to look at. Don't even look at it. Don't even look at it. You'll be fined, you know. Um, kind of reminds yeah. me of uh, of the guy from The Simpsons in the comic book store. Oh, Do yes. It, uh, don't even look at it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd forgotten that. That's exactly, it was exactly like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, when I was out on the road, I, I always used to like, because, you know, after a while, you don't mind hanging with the band, but sometimes you don't want to hang with the band and you want to just do your own thing. Yeah. Because you, you're together 24-7. Um, so I used to look for the local record shops, real nerd, you know, yeah. wherever I am in the world, and I will do it again one day, hopefully, um, and just go to the record stores. Not always buying, <clears throat> but a lot of the times I'd end up buying. Uh, and it was just great to, to, to find things like that. I wish I had it now, but I don't know where it is. It's around somewhere. But I know this isn't a, a visual thing, so it doesn't really matter <laughs> anyway. But I could just tell you it's a very, very rare pressing right. of Revolver. That's amazing. I'll tell you, I'll let you in on a little something as well. My Beatles fandom, it may not, it may not be on your your level there, but I did <laughs> I did spend 40 quid on um, professionally pressed Japanese bootlegs of the rock band video game mixes. <laughs> oh, that would be cool, man. Um I, really I, I can send you those if you want them. Let's get um, sharing. They're not uh <laughs> I don't know. I'd love to actually. I'd like to know what you think about hearing them. What annoyed okay. me with their 2009 remasters, and, and 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 now I think they're rectifying it with the, those gorgeous 50th anniversary reissues. Yes, um, was that I'd be mean, trying to you know I put headphones on, and they're just remasters of the um, I think inferior 80s stereo mixes, mm. and Ringo is hard left for a lot of no. it. Oh, and it man. just I as much as I love him, it really batters you around the head, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like a bunch of bumblebees in your left ear. Yeah, you know, you, uh, 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 you. I don't know if you know the story, but you know when John Lennon heard that the original stereo mixes, which I guess pretty much were until the eighties, still the same mixes mm. of the stereo, he went mid. Uh, early 70s i think this was 72 73 and of course he pretended i guess not to worry too much because he had moved on but i think he was still very very proud of the band and a little bit kind of cagey about what people would say about it and stuff uh, and anyway someone passed him these records maybe emi sent them to him who knows and, and it's on youtube and he's absolutely going mental saying you know that they've softened the band up the way they've put me and 
Paul over here and George and Ringo this side. And he's absolutely right. Yeah. And I grew up listening to those mixes. And, you know, I used to pan left and think, oh, I can hear Ringo. Pan right, there's the voices. Maybe I could play along. But, of course, you can until the, the voices stop and the instruments start again. Then you, then you can't hear anything. So maybe it's a good <laughs> click practice, maybe, even though they weren't done to click. But, you know, yeah. and it was just frustrating. And I could see what he means because I bought the... Um, on CD, I bought the the mono uh, seven or eight uh, first Beatle album um, oh, reprints the, the on white Capitol. Box. Yeah, I didn't buy the box. I bought them individually. Right. I wish I had. Maybe one day, again, when I can, um, I'll buy them. Um, but it's great because you get the mono mix of the album. And then if you leave it in the car long enough and you're driving a long way, you get the stereo version of the album. Yeah. <clears throat> and, it, and, it, and it was just like he said, you've got to hear us in mono because we were a tougher band than these stereo mixes give us. They make us sound too sweet. Yeah. And, it, and the thing is, it's right because you listen, as you know, yeah. you know, you listen to those mono mixes because I remember we spoke about this ages ago they're really tough and the same with the stones ones as well they just present differently yeah and it's a lot harsher it's like you're in the room when you're listening yeah. to it you're in a, a gig the stereo thing just makes it go oh this is nice let's separate this badly but yeah. le- and it's just rubbish the, 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 the you know again listening to revolver in mono forgetting the one i've got which is great but listening to that uh the capital album on mono and then you put right i think i'm only sleeping or whatever whatever it might be i asked yesterday and today but whatever and you forward it to the next one the stereo version, it's like, oh, really? Like yeah. if I needed, if I needed someone on Rubber Soul was a classic. I listened to the mono and it was just like in your face. It was like 12 string guitars, beautiful Rickenbackers. You go forward it to the stereo version and all, all of a sudden it goes like this and yeah. it's all kind of lost. And it's like, yeah, it thins it out. Absolutely, man. It loses the, the, the aggression. Yeah. Which someone said to me once, the Beatles the in mono are a rock and roll band. The Beatles in stereo are a pop band. I agree with that. You know, for any Beatle haters, I think that's, that they, you know, they can listen to those stereo mixes and go, oh, listen to this. But you lay the same album on them in mono and they're like, okay, yeah. <laughs> this is interesting. This is interesting. It's got grit. The, the, things, the little things like his hi-hats rocking together. We know he, we're drummers, right? We know he's playing loud. You hear that snare drum cracking. But when it's in stereo, it's kind of just switched over there somewhere, you know? Yeah. But in mono, it's at you. It's like, in your face and the bass is with it and it's just like whoa okay now i could take you seriously you know yeah. you listen to things like not necessarily my favorite records but the early ones like please please me not so much but with the beatles and hard days night they're really coming at you when they start doing i want to be your man it's like yes yeah. i get i get it now i, I get the r&b sort of influence the rock influence i get it yeah. Oh, mate, it's fantastic. I, I I love the Beatles so much, and Harry, my producer, he loves a good Beatles chat. So, does I'm, he? I'm glad we've got this in the bag because I think well, he's, he's going to enjoy editing this. I mean, I know some people don't, and that's totally cool. You know, everyone is subjective, isn't it? And um, but I was thinking today when I was just sort of pottering around here, you know, in between homeschooling and stuff. Uh, that you know when they come up, uh, you know, I always get a bit defensive, but then it's according what sort of things people say about them if it's just nonsense like they're all oh, they're rubbish or they're you know they're shite or something you know you think well why give me a reason i don't mind of course you can say that and maybe they are who knows but i really like them and music history says they were okay so you tell me why and yeah. it's just so funny when you hear some sort of especially when you're my age because i grew up in that 80s period where i was listening to them because obviously when he died we all sort of knew about it and um I would still listen to Frankie Goes to Hollywood and all the stuff I was listening to, but I still have real appreciation for the Beatles. But I realised that a lot of my friends' dads grew up in that period. Yeah. So, of course, they've still got hatred because they tried to date girls that didn't love, that love the Beatles and wouldn't go out with them. So they all like the Stones because they're like, well, we don't like the Beatles, they're for girls. And, and, <laughs> and this divide, this sort of like weird kind of vibe went up through the generations. So a lot of my friends... At school, I would realise, it got to the point when I was older, I'd say, like, I don't know, Dave, did your dad like the Beatles? No, he hated them. Oh, that's why you don't like them. I get it now. Right. It's kind of, and you could say this about, unfortunately, racism and politics. It all gets handed down, you know, good, bad or ugly. Yeah. And certainly for my generation, the Beatles thing was one of those. You could say, yeah, your dad liked the Stones, right? And you go, yeah, yeah, well, I can see why he's ugly. <laughs> 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 but... It's just it. That's just it. Now it's not the same. It's moved well on from there, obviously. Yeah. But when I was growing up, it was very much that. You know, dad would be really. Oh, I hated them. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like really okay. 
Fair yeah, enough. I did. Uh, I guested on a podcast a few weeks back um, called "The Biggest I Ever Had," uh, which right. is uh, uh, naughty sounding. Um, but, it, <laughs> but it is actually. I, did, <laughs> I didn't want to say it, but uh, yeah, it does sound yeah. a bit rude. Yes, yes. Who are Mrs. Who are? Kenneth Williams in my head then. I'm a massive Carry On fan. Don't start me on that. Okay, get you started there then. Uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, um, so they Sorry, asked me yeah. on because their concept for this podcast is it's the 25 <clears throat> biggest singles in the UK chart history. And they said, Andy, oh. do you want to talk about um, a, a Madonna or whatever it was, track, J-Lo, or so, I don't know who it was, or do you want yeah. to talk about, they gave me two options, it was Beatles, um, She Loves You, or something <laughs> else. And I was like, dude, yeah, just get me on the Beatles one. <laughs> and, in, and in the Beatles one, I said it's like, you know when people say... Um, Oh, I don't trust anyone that doesn't like dogs. Ah, uh, yeah. I've seen this. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so when people say to me, I don't like the Beatles, like that, that's my that's my yeah. response. It's the same there response. Used to be a, there used to be a thing on Facebook. It was like a, a chalkboard with it. Don't trust anyone who doesn't love the Beatles or like the Beatles type thing. And yeah, there is something in that. You know, I just find it really sort of mesmerising. I find it really perplexing when a musician especially is really anti, you know, and quite heavy. And again, I'll just be called about it. It's okay, but why? Just tell me why, you know? And, oh, well, I can't stand a band that just did She Loves You in Yellow Submarine. And I'm like, dude, like, what? <laughs> and, you know, I'll sort of, um, I'll just leave it at that most of the time. I'm not some sort of, I don't go around with like a, a Beatle Bible bashing it, you know, but <laughs> at the same time, I, I think I said on that DW playlist last week, I did or whatever, that sometimes for real haters, I say, look, cool, I'm going to play you one track and it's only two and a half minutes, but I'm going to play this to you and that's it. I'm done. I don't, you know, I don't have to try and tell you to, you know, love them. It's not my job in life, you know. Yeah. And maybe you're better off not knowing them. And again, I've just put on Tomorrow Never Knows, right? Because I know that's the one that's going to make them go. And uh, one of the reactions was um, somebody once said, that's the Chemical Brothers. And I went, it's not. <laughs> it's just the Beatles. You see, but Chemical Brothers used that rhythm. I said, well, they did with that Noel Gallagher when they did that track. Can't think what that's called now. But, um, and, and I do that or Helter Skelter or something. And they go... This isn't the Beatles. And I go, yeah, it is. Yeah. Or everyone's got something to hide except me and my monkey. And they go, this isn't the Beatles. And I go, yes, it is the Beatles. <laughs> they were just multifaceted. Yes, they had the the pretty songs, the love songs. They had heavy songs. Here you go. They had futuristic songs. They had all the tape bleak weirdness. It's all there if you want to find it. Yeah. And for me, like I've probably said and documented loads of times, that's why as a musician, I love them so much because there's yeah. so much to choose from. I do like bands. Again, I'm not knocking the stones, but they just did the same thing. Great songs in there, though. God, there's some wonderful songs and great performances. But for me, if I had to pick the two, it's not because I dislike the stones at all, but the, the fact that Beatles kept changing in their little 10-year fame period, that to me is just like unbelievable. You know, as I say, I, I don't dislike the other bands. Like the Kinks are amazing, but there's something about that catalogue that you think, oh my God, yeah. it's it's mind-blowing, you know. It is. It is utterly mind-blowing. Um, what was it, what were your feelings on these new 50th anniversary um, 20 whatever they were 2019 2020 mixes? I thought they were fantastic. I did speak to one guy who doesn't. He's a classic guy where you know if it's not the original mono on yeah. his 50s record deck, fair um, enough. It is. Yeah, it ain't I get shit. That. And so <laughs> I, I, I said to him, you know, what did you think of it? Oh, rubbish, hated it. They ru really? ruined, ruined Ringo's drums. Oh, he's a drummer, jazz drummer. Um, <laughs> oh, okay, and, okay. And um, I thought that that was really strange because Ring, I didn't think Ringo's drums had sounded better ever because they literally been, with the process of going back to the, the master tape before they'd bounced everything down. Absolutely. They're using first generation tapes. They, yeah. they, and, and by that definition, they have more information. So there is more Ringo and there's nothing to hate there. Uh, I agree. I mean, we went to Froome. I can't think how long ago it was. It's a while ago. We went to Rave it's from the Grave, isn't it? Yeah, Rave from the Grave. When it used to be up the little side street, which I should know the name of, but I don't. And I think it's moved now. But Yeah. And I nearly bought it on vinyl, but we wanted to hear it like really quick. Yeah. <laughs> so we bought it for the car on CD. One of the versions. It wasn't a box set. It was a, just a one of the. There was like twenty five versions or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we put it in. And of course, I've known it since I was twelve years old. Helen's known it. She's a bit younger, but you know, for a while. And press play. The audience, the band are tuning up, 
and then that boom, boom, gap, gap, and his floor tom and his snare drum was just yeah. like, and I just went, yes, I think I was in traffic, and I was like, yes, at last we can hear how heavy Ringo was as a drummer, this is a beautiful thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I enjoyed the whole album, and I can't wait till they get to Revolver, obviously, I keep piping on about Revolver, yeah. but I cannot wait, if there's a box set, I'll buy all of them, however many there are, because I just think that album... For, it's just uh, that album to me. If you put like a few Kinks albums with it, and um, you know, uh, uh, I'm trying to think what else. There's so many things in that '66 period. The, the faces. Oh, there's some great stuff. You put that in a time capsule, and that basically, you know, you go 40 years forward. And that was Britpop. They basically invented Britpop with the bands that, around them at the time. Yeah. You know, the look with the hair, the glasses, the Oasis thing, and all that. You know, uh, uh, and the SG guitar and all that business in the Gibson casinos. Man, you know, it was done. And the glasses, everything, it was done. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, like, guys, yeah. you're going to do this slightly more modern, maybe with some Moog bass and some more funky things. But this is kind of what you guys are going to be doing. And, you know, from the minute you listen to Taxman, you think, jam. Yeah, all right, this is where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> you were right, guys. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, um, I had a moment in, in um, with, with uh, Abbey Road. Oh, yeah. Where I was... That's great. I was in Tesco... <laughs> listening listening to it and I was like god it's the first time I'd heard it and I thought oh I'll just put my headphones in I'll just do my thing and I remember I was reaching <laughs> for some strawberry laces <laughs> and golden slumbers came on oh don't oh and there's don't. that moment where he goes and he reaches and Paul goes for that grass uh, that, that, oh. that, that that like sorry rasp sorry and he's like rasp. ah and I was like and I almost and I didn't know what to do with the emotion. It hit me like a train. I was like, oh my yeah. God. It was this moment yeah. of like, Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, I, <laughs> I, I, I got home and I and thank God there was no one in the house. I got home and I played it again and again and again. Yeah. And it, for some reason, it was the golden slumbers in that new mix. It brought me to tears. That's the first time I've ever cried listening to a piece of music. And I tell yeah. you what it was. It was because I thought to myself that George is gone. John yeah. is gone. Yeah. And and they led such an incredible life. And I was just thinking about now this is really sad, but you'll get it. I was yeah. thinking about, you know, when Ringo goes or when Paul goes, they're oh. gonna be the only one left who knows what that was like to be yeah. that in yeah. that band. No one else has had that experience ever. And when yeah. that when that the next beetle goes, I think that the heartbreaking thing for me will be that there's one beetle left who cannot relate to anyone else on the planet. Exactly. And, you know, I don't care how many books are written, how many documentaries you see, um, the, 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 the love between the four of them. And I know there was hate for a while as well in the mid seventies and all the, the, they all sue in their asses and all that. But you know, the thing that comes out of it is there was a massive love for each other. And I think, again, I was thinking about this today as I was pottering about like, um, as well as Prince and other stuff that we might talk about as well. But you know, I was, I was thinking about what that would feel like, you know, because it's like that thing with Buddy Rich, you know, like that everyone says he was an asshole. He was this, he was that. But a lot of the time he didn't know why he was so good. You know, he, (laughs) he didn't know because he would look at his other sort of compadres around him and they were good too. But he, he had this facility that was slightly, whether you liked his style, doesn't matter, but his his hands and feet were just like, you know, faster and cleaner than Max Roach or any of them. Now, whether you like the style, as I say, is different. You might like Max's style more and that's totally cool. But you know, like as a as a drummer, like Stuart Copeland always says, there's no one like him, you know. Um, and I think a lot of the time he was flippant and stuff because he didn't know what to do with it because mm. he was a bit like Gene's had lessons, you've had lessons, Louis Belson's had lessons, all of you cats have had lessons, and I can just sit there and go, just do this stuff yeah. with very li- with very little lessons because you know people say that's not true, but of course it, he didn't have many at all. Freddie Gruber gave him a handful, but a lot of it was just given. And I think Beatles were, the, were like that; they were like, well, why us? Like. We don't know why we were the first to play Shea Stadium. You know, so, you know, all the haters. Yeah, haters, but we can't help it. We were there doing it first. And like John Lennon said, we, there was all the bands with us, but we were up in the um, the crow's nest sailing the ship. You know, yeah. we didn't want to be, but we, well, they kind of did, but we didn't expect we would end up there. So, of course, all this stuff came to them, and I don't think they knew what to do with it, and I don't think anyone does. I mean, stars now, bless them, sometimes flake out in their 20s. Yeah. Or even check out, unfortunately, from this earth, you know. Yeah. 
And it, and you're thinking those guys have taken all that with them, press the the the, the burden because it must be a bit of an albatross. Like you're the best band in the world, they must be a bit like, well, okay, but like, are we? Like we're just four guys, and I, I know some people again are like, "Oh, I hate it when they do that." Oh, we were just four guys, but I kind of, I think I've seen enough things to believe that that's really how they feel. They're not going around going, "Yeah, we were the greatest," actually, and uh, you know, yeah. they're not doing that. You know, especially as they get a lot older, there may be little moments where they were like, "We were pretty good," but I think Ringo always says that, and Paul says we were a great little band, weren't we, and all that. <laughs> but yeah, imagine what it feels like to have that like huge weight on you. It must be really difficult. Yeah, and it's around you for all of your life. And if you if you're seen to dislike it, people will hate you. If you seem to go, yeah, it was pretty good, they'll hate you. Yeah, It's a really tough gig. I think, it's a, being a Beatles a tough gig, man. I think Paul's handled it well. He's just ploughed on with his own thing. Hmm. He's not. He's never gone... Well, he. I mean, I say he's never gone back to it. He's, no. He continues to push forward with his own music, and I don't ever really feel like he just sits on the Beatles catalogue. Um, no. And sort of like takes advantage of that. I just think he just carries on, and that's all you can do. He just tries to, you know, forwards ever, backwards never, unless there's some money to be made in some reissues. But um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like Jimmy Page, man. I mean, Jimmy Page is forever trying to reissue the the Led Zeppelin catalogue, man. It's like how many times can you remaster it? How many times can you dig something up that might be a a, a rough edit of something and, yeah. and re-release it? Bless him, but. But yeah, I must say McCartney 3, right, was bought for me. I didn't mm. want it particularly. Um, and I've actually enjoyed it. I've enjoyed listening to it, I have to say. Um, certain songs, maybe not as much as as others. But, you know, again, I've got, uh, as I say, I was with some musician friends when I sort of opened it. And it was like, oh, my God, I'm not sure if I'm going to like this when I drive home. Like, yeah. But I drove home and it was like... Yeah, man. It's, uh, track six, especially. There's a real rocker on there, isn't there? I can't remember what it's yeah, called. Yeah. This one's really long, actually. I don't know if it's that one, but this this one's really long. And um, someone said, yeah, that uh, Taylor Swift was interviewing McCartney and she'd heard the album and she went on in depth about this track. And he, the person I was talking to, I've not heard it. What's it like? I said, actually, it was the, the one that really stood out because it's really modern. He's not trying to be anything, but it's a bit massive attacky in the sound, believe it or not. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like he's trying to do that. It just sounds like the song kind of just happened that way and he went with it and it's almost like in a in, in a suite there's like movements and it changes and it goes back to where it started and um i didn't realize that it was like 12 minutes long till i got to where i was going i was like oh my god i really like that so you know if you can still do that to someone who as a beetle quite a, a picky beetle fan of their solo stuff if you can do that a few years on like he's done then that's pretty good you know yeah i mean the rest of it i could take or leave there's some good moments but that track was like all right yeah yeah you still got you still got something going on yeah yeah <laughs> i'll give that great. to you you know I, I did hear on a podcast i can't remember whose podcast it was and it wasn't about the beatles at all but someone said it was about fame and it was and someone said you know we're not evolved to um to handle fame we're not we, we haven't evolved so that everyone on the planet knows who we are yeah yeah like you know in in our very neurological um design or however you'd say it yeah we are not supposed to be beatles <laughs> yeah abs- absolutely and i think george you know it was an epitome of that really i mean they all did their own thing in different ways george, john with his protesting was a really brave move as well for someone in the public eye to do what he did. And I saw a documentary on Sky Arts. Again, I sort of knew a lot of it, but, but yeah, again, if you step back away from it all, which is so hard because of all the, you know, the maelstrom of stuff that comes with the Beatles and all that business. But if you think about it, yeah, doing what he was doing in America was, especially them, was quite a scary thing. You know, the amount of protesting he did when they were also asking to, him to leave and trying to get him out, but he didn't care. He was like, yeah, well, you know, I'm still going to keep going. You know, you're not going to stop me. I'm still going to go out on these marches and do these things, you know. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that. It's like, you know, it's very easy now to step back. Oh, yeah, he was just trying to give peace a chance. It's all a bit wimpy, isn't it, and all that. But, again, think of how famous he was at that time and how much he had to lose. And he did. People took the 
pee out of him, something chronic. But he still went forward and he still did it and he still believed in it. All right, later on he said it was a bit naive, but hey, you know, he said I was young and I still believe in a lot of those things now. And I I, I just think, especially now, it's so difficult now, forgetting the pandemic, I know that's a massive deal and it's such a sad thing for the world to go through. But let's try and think that if that never happened, I can't see many artists putting their self on the line to be ridiculed quite as much, to be honest. Mm. You know, when you're that famous, it's kind of like... Yeah, respect, you know. If you don't like him for his music, like him for that as a human being. That's pretty that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And of course, fame is what killed John in the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That very thing. But people still go back to that Jesus quote, you know, and may, maybe so. But um I remember talking to my parents about it when I'm a bit older, like maybe 15, 16. As I say, I've been a Beatles fan about four years by then. And I, I used to sort of nag them, what was it like? And they'd say, well, you'd wake up and in the papers, they'd have arrived in Japan or they'd arrived somewhere and it's always on the news. And it's like, oh, yeah, Beatles again. Or they've sold another million records, a squillion billion records, and they're doing a stadium. Oh, how about that? And they said, we just got used to it. You know, it was kind of like England with Carnaby Street, Michael Caine, we were leading the way in films and everything. It was just what was happening. Yeah. Um, it was exciting. And I said, so about the Jesus thing, when I sort of read in some of the books, what was, and they said, well, we remember it. There was a bit of a fuss, but nothing in England. But it was, of course, as we know, it was when they went to America to the Bible Belt, yeah. they all went nuts. And, um, you know, I think Chapman still says that there was many things because he thought he was Lenin and all that business, didn't he? But yeah. He does mention that quote, and I think that's probably a little bit of that in there. And it was a shame because all he was saying was, I mean, anyone could, J-Lo could say it now or, you know, Beyonce, you know, whatever, could say this stuff now. And you go, yeah, you are actually. Like, even like the, the Kardashians, whatever they're called, Kardashians, I don't even watch that stuff, as you can tell. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, one of them could say we're bigger than Jesus right now because we've got billions of people watching us all around the world. And it's a comment, and you could say, well, yeah, are these people going to church? No, most of them aren't because they like reality TV. They, they, those things don't always go together so yeah you're right you're actually probably a bit bigger than people who sit down on a pew every week to listen to a sermon but of course it was different then it was a bit taboo and uh, yeah you know all john was saying was that in with the youth of the world we are bigger than jesus and he meant they are more popular than christianity yeah that's all it was he doesn't have to be bigger or better or we are christ they were just and he was actually saying it as if to say it's ridiculous yeah (laughs) that was his point and seeing those interviews when he goes to America, he's so sheepish and, you know, he gets so fed up of answering it. If you've you checked those 1966 US tour uh, interviews on YouTube, it's really interesting. Uh, start with, he's, he's very humble about it. But by the end, he said, look, I've said what I've said and it was wrong and it's been taken wrong and, you know, and now it's all this. And, you know, I, I can only tell you so many times and I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. And for someone who was always kind of acerbic and a kind of bit like, on his feet, you could see he's like, really, I'm really sorry. You know, yeah. like I, I realise it's a step too far, but really, to be fair, he was right. Yeah. You know, he was he correct. Was right. uh, what did you think of the um, the Shea Stadium film, Hollywood Bowl? Uh, well, you know, I've seen it a few times. I've not seen a, a mastered, remastered version, but I've seen uh, the one they used to show on BBC Two all the time when at Christmas they had a Beatle fest and all the, the films would be on. Yeah. Um, and the sound was dodgy. I mean, because they redid it, didn't they? And yeah. everyone knows they redid it. But um, yeah, it's it, it, it's a moment. It's a moment in rock history. And I think it, it, it was documented. It had to be documented. Yeah. And of course, it was shown a few months later in England anyway, back in 66. It was shown or whatever. Um, after, you know, after Christmas, I think it was shown the next year. And of course, they did it again in 66. But um it's exciting. I mean, I wish it was the original sound, but I know the sound was rubbish because all the sound was rubbish. Yeah. Those gigs back then. Um, and the fact they had to redo it in London and then superimpose it is just a, it's just a shame, but that's technology at the time. Yeah. Uh, but there is a, but, there is a film that came out a few years ago. Oh, I've not seen and they that re- actually. they reissued, um, Oh, and they used modern tech to, wow. to, to get the screaming out and draw the performances out. Oh, wow, bloody hell. Right, yeah. okay. I know they did that to Hollywood Bowl, but I didn't know if they did that to Shea Stadium. But if no, they did... Did I, did I say wait. Shea Stadium? I think you did, or maybe uh, I heard sorry, that. Sorry, I meant Hollywood Bowl if I yeah, said no, that. I've, yeah, I've got the vinyl up there, the, the reissue one, but yeah. I've also got the original 78 one here somewhere. I didn't know and that I was pref- a Shea I've, Stadium. Um, I prefer the old one. What, the, the one that one. did in the uh, in the 80s? 
I prefer the 79 or 78 version of that album, whenever it came out, or 1980, yeah. Right. With, with the screaming. I love it. Because I bought the other one for Helen. And as I said, I've got it up there on the shelf. Um, <laughs> and it's good. It's very clear. But I prefer the other one. It just right. sounds more raw. Sounds yeah. more exciting. But it's still good. I mean, God, you know, the, to cancel out all those, you know, 55,000 screaming kids or whatever it was, is, is quite a thing. But... Um, yeah, I, I still like the old one. And I've got the old one on CD in the car as well. I got it from Japan for like 35 quid or something. And it's just <laughs> it's just killer. I always say to people, listen to this. I remember I turned up at Nick Allen's studio out of Holt a couple of years ago. And I was playing with the band. And I knew some of the band members were more Stones people. And that's, as I say, that's totally cool, man. Um, and I pulled up and I was playing, I think it was Rollover Beethoven or... It might have been Long Tall Sally. One of the rockers anyway. Yeah, And... And I pulled up and I was like, listen to this. at the window open. They said, who's that? And again, it was like, I said, this is the Beatles. I went, F off. I said, it is. They said, that's rocking. I said, yeah, I know. Come and listen, man. It was just like, oh, God. I think, I think John, you know, uh, wishes that they could have been captured as they were. I mean, there are Cavern Club and there are um, Star Club tapes that are on record. I've got Star Club from 1962 in Germany and they're really raw, but I think he wanted more people to be aware of that stuff rather than just how they were presented. Yeah. And I think as much as he knew they had to clean their image up and Brian was right, he just wanted to be that loudmouth rocker in leather. He did, yeah. you know, and he always blamed Paul for the cleanup, but, but they were all part of it, but... And it is a shame they were never presented quite like that. But, uh, you know, what can you do? I think the the best representation of them that I know of in my collection is um, the Live at the BBC. Um, yeah, that's... Volume 1. That, Ca- absolutely. That yeah. is good. You're right. I that forgot that. captures that, yeah, that rock that. era quite well. But, it, it, again, it's the BBC. So it's a little bit further down the road, isn't it? It's slightly more sterilised, maybe. But, maybe. But there's some... You can tell it's in there. Yeah, yeah. definitely. But but my favourite period, as I say, is 66, because I 65 into 66, just into 67, because you can see they finally reached a point of, like, we can't get any bigger. You know, our, they met Dylan, our, our music's evolving, and then all of a sudden you get Revolver. <laughs> and you can just see they've grown up, the image is cool, they're, they're really cool in their skin, they're very happy with everything. They've done everything by that point. They've been the biggest band in the world, done a stadium, no one else had done that, not even Elvis, and it's just like, right, here we are. Time to stop. And I just love that. It's like such confidence to say, now we stop. That's the end of that. Yeah. The circus is over. Now we're going to make some music. It's kind of not to such a big extent, but like Talk Talk did in the 80s. I mean, I know nowhere near as big. I know, but I love Talk Talk. And they did that. They did two or three years, really didn't like touring, maybe a bit more. Um, and then Colour of Spring come out. They toured that. And then it was like, that's it. No more touring. I can't do this anymore. It's not how our music should be presented. Right. Boom. And then they make like Spirit of Eden and Laughing Stock, two very non-commercial records, but all the musicians are like hailing them as some of the greatest albums of all time. Yeah, you I've know. been meaning to pick up Spirit of Eden. You should do. I've got that here somewhere. And Laughing Stock, the one right. after that, is even deeper than that. It's okay. even more ethereal. But the records are just they're just brilliant. I mean, Radiohead, all these different bands cite them as influences. And still, most people say, talk, talk, who's that? You know, and I get it. They were never massive, but the impact, you know, Mark Hollis had, and the band, all of them, had on my age group and other age groups that listened to Radiohead and heard them talk about talk, talk and going, oh Christ, yeah, these were good. Like, geez, why weren't they ever famous? It was just one of those things. And I think Parlophone even tried to sue them for the last album saying there was no single on it. There was no commerciality and they went to court over it. It's online. You can read about it. But Mark Collis stood by his guns, man. He's like, no, this album has to come out. And of course now it's cited as musical genius. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like a, a silent way or, um, not a British, but more like a Silent Way album, like Miles did. You know, it's cited as one of those in, in the ethereal world, and, and rightly so, because they're stunning, stunning records, especially on vinyl, again. <laughs> Definitely on vinyl. <laughs> Rob, I think we've done almost an hour on the Beatles. Oh, sorry. We no, should no, have talked about no. other things. Let's talk, let's talk about other things, man. No, Come on. Let's talk. No, no, no. I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want to move on just yet. I want to go on. Okay. I want to move on in a minute and talk about your whole life and career. 
I'd forgotten um, about that. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and everything I've got written down here. But the yeah, Beatles yeah, yeah. chat is too good, and I could tell that you've been... Uh, you were, you've gone, oh, and you're in there. Let me oh, just... Oh, sorry. No, it's fine. I, have. I loved it. No, I've been loving it. We were, I'm um, totally beatles up, man. Yeah, Any, anything that I'm really into, I will get into. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah, I'm like you've that. You've got to dig me back out. That's, <laughs> <laughs> That's why I said Prince a minute ago. Oh, anything. Jazz, any drums, anything. <laughs> Clive Stocker, anything, you yeah. know, get me out, get me out. <laughs> um, talk to me about uh, the Get Back movie. What do you think? Are you looking forward to it? Uh, I'm really excited because, you know what, I remember getting the Let It Be album when I was quite young and I was in hospital and my mum brought it to me on vinyl and I was so excited. Or my Auntie James, somebody, one of them bought it for me. And I remember getting it home, and that was a real moment because my first operation, I was only maybe 13 or something. I remember playing it and liking it, but that, that always felt like there was something missing to me. Then I read a bit more as I got older about the troubles, the strife within the band, how Abbey Road was the album afterwards. It was a lot better and like a release and all that business. But I was there's something about that period that um, that always you know, kind of, I don't know what it was. It didn't confuse me. What did it do? I, I don't know. I just kind of mystified by that time because you think, hang on, Abbey Road came out and that was kind of the release. And before that was the White Album, so Tension. So you're thinking, all, and the Yellow Submarine album and all that, blah, blah, blah. But, and you think, oh my God, but the song's a, a killer and the sound's good. And of course, I didn't know the Get Back session afterwards without the choir on it and all that stuff. I just, as we all did, just knew the Phil Spector versions. Yeah. And and I sort of fell in love with it, but but at the same time, never felt connected to it, but still loved it. It's really, as you can tell, I can't really yeah. put it into words. And then I saw the film, because again, BBC used to show the films a lot. Um, and it just... Never seen the watching film. watching it. Right. Never seen it. it there's some moments of humour, all their humour's there. Um and, but there's also the parts, you know, like with George saying, Paul, I'll play what you want. I won't play anything if you don't want me to play and all that. And it's a bit like, oh, and everyone's sort of sat around like, oh. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it was, uh, so yeah, so that's a, that's a moment in time, a time capsule of that moment. So of course, everyone thinks they didn't have a good time. And then I saw the first interview with, um, what's his name, the director? What's Peter his name? Jackson. Um, thank you. Um and he said, I'm really happy to say that I found all these hours of footage and they weren't as sort of pissed off and fed up as we all thought they were. Right. Um, and then you see the clip and then he shoot, shoots the clip, you know, that's been out for a while, the sort of five minute or four minute clip, whatever. And they're having a great time and they're jamming in the studio. And I've got some bootlegs from that time on vinyl and they're rocking out. Actually, they're having fun yeah. in the studio amongst all the angst and the other stuff, but they're having fun. And you see the clips of John being a tit and everyone's being silly and having fun. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute. It, it, maybe it wasn't as bad as... The original film with Hogg or whatever, not that it was his fault, he was just documenting something. Yeah. Um, but it's not as heavy as Michael Lindsay Hogg, wasn't it? Um, maybe not as heavy as as, as it seemed. Um, and I'm glad because, as I said, there's been a little cloud over that album that I like to love it and also dislike it. And But I'm fascinated because I love the songs in it and I love the production. Ringo's drums are great. I even like Phil Spector's versions of the... Of, of the whole thing, like Long and Winding Road. And as people hate that, but I actually quite like it. I don't you know. When I hear it. the naked version, it just sounds naked, naked. to me. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have the impact. It doesn't have the tear. But I know that's why people say, yeah, that's why it's naff. But well, for uh, me, I, I, I like it. Let It Be was my first favourite Beatles album. And I don't know if that was because um, it was one of the first I owned, you know, so Maybe. it was almost by default. But um, it's not... I don't think it's my favourite anymore, but I do still love it. But the naked version is is great because once you've heard Long and Winding Road, yeah, naked, and then you've heard Long and Winding Road with the Phil Spector orchestration, it is very obvious mm. that those initial stabs when they come in after Paul, they they are they are a bit too loud in the mix. They yes, are, they are, yeah, it's imperfect. But yeah, you know, it's it's been around so long now. It's it's accepted, isn't it? it? It is. I'd like to have the box set, actually, one day. But I know they're expensive. But... What, for Let It Be? Yeah, the original box set that oh. it came in, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I liked the uh, the track, the rev- revised track listing for, for Let It Be Naked. Don't Let Me Down is 
No oh. one talks about that song. That's an amazing song. Oh my god! <laughs> and I know it was covered by a band that was and it was a single. And against the Beatle haters, say yeah, but they did it better than the Beatles. And I go, okay, fine, whatever. You know, but isn't it a great song? Yeah. That's what we're talking about, right? And their version's so close to the original. It's like anyway, <laughs> uh, Billy Preston's keyboards, man. It's a great blues tune. And what I like again about this period, and I didn't realise till later, which is again why I've got this thing about that Letter B album, is because they were obviously listening to Cream. They were obviously listening to, you know, the bands around Hendrix and stuff. They'd met these people. And it's obviously starting to seep into them. And the band. And the band, exactly. Yeah. And, and there's all these things coming out, and you're thinking, but it still sounds like the Beatles, but you could tell they've been influenced. Like they've always said they were. They never tried to pretend they did it all themselves. They always said they're nicking from other people, yeah. the same as they nick from us. Like we're happy to steal as well. Um, and I just think they could turn their hands to these different things. Like I Want You, I know this is Abbey Road now, but I Want You is it's sort of kind of creamy in places, uh-huh. you know, and Fleetwood Mackie with Sun King, you know, and it's a bit like, whoa, you're soaking these things in, man. You're really taking it on board. Uh-huh. And to see where they would have gone, I know Jeff Lynn or, or John Lennon said they would have sounded like ELO later on. Maybe so, but I don't know. I think that raw edge would still have been there. Not that ELO can't play a rock tune. They can, of course they can, but yeah. I, I think they would have maybe not have had maybe the same kind of sound, but... I guess he's not far off. They would have been a bit like that. But um, yeah, it just would have been nice to see where they would have gone to after Abbey Road because such, that's such a great record to finish on, yeah. even though Let It Be is like the last one, whatever. But we all know Abbey Road. I mean, like you say, Golden Slumbers, you know, and uh, the rock, uh, carry that weight, the way it rocks out towards the end. It's yeah. just like, we're, they're just getting warm now, you know. Like, what's next? And it's like, no, that's it. And that, <laughs> oh, last, okay, um, that last line about... Um... And uh, in the end, the love you um, take is equal to the love you make. Exactly. Um, Yeah. It's like a fairy tale. Their story, I always say to people, it's like a fairy tale. It was like it was almost written out and they someone had to live it and it just happened to be them yeah. you know it was always going to happen to somebody but but yeah there's so many perfect moments and like you say that album the way it's just so amazing and then it ends with that and in the end of love we met oh it's just like really what a lovely way just to say the end like a disney the end comes up you know and then the book closes it's just like it's too good to be true <laughs> and do you know what did you see that thing on facebook the other day about um, people were starting to think that maybe it, the whole thing was like a some sort of staged kind of thing to take take us away from the black rights movements in the in the sixties and, and um, uh, the uh, JFK thing and all that. So we're talking before they got to America right. that they just picked on something like the Beatles. Said right, people, let's make them this big thing. Let's make this thing happen to take our minds off of these other things. And I was kind of fascinated by that. It's kind wow. of like, oh, it's a bit X Files, but it's yeah. a bit like. Well, they're a bit bloody good too, though. But um, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe somewhere. But then again, I've had that conversation with people like, online, and I'm like, yeah, like, I get it. But to be honest, the songs are too good. Like, and there's a, there's, they, didn't, they didn't just appear. There's like a yeah. backstory. Uh-huh. So I kind of, I, I think in a way, the press were thankful of someone taking the weight off of a lot of troubles that were going on. That I do believe. Yeah. But thankfully, they were good enough to hold their own. So yeah. they didn't just disappear like a boy band or whatever. They they held their own and kept going. But who knows? It's an interesting thing, you know, like, ooh, okay. <laughs> they got this pandemic thing, conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> they were um, our biggest export for a while, yeah. weren't they? A band. Yeah. A band were our biggest economic offering yeah. to the world. <laughs> That's why they got their MBEs, apparently. It wasn't because those old farts in Parliament and stuff knew about the music. It wasn't about that and the Queen and that. It was just the fact that they'd been out making us money. Yeah. I think one of them says that. I think, oh, no, it's one of those, like, um, BBC report things that go out with a roving microphone, like, what do you think of the Beatles? You know, this guy's like, well, I think it's atrocious they're getting an MBE. They haven't fought in any wars. And maybe that's right, to be fair. And then, of course, they ask a young girl. She's like, oh, no, I think it's brilliant. They bring a lot of money into the country and that. And then they go to this... Another person who dislikes it and it goes to this other guy. Of course, you're thinking, oh, he's going to hate it. He goes, well, um, to be honest, they're, they're fine young chaps. And um, to be honest with you, they're bringing a lot of money in the country, just like the Queen does, coming to the palace. And the Beatles are, you know, and he's just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he was saying it then like like the whole world is beetle mad you know yeah. though they weren't but you know what i mean it seemed like they were and 
Yeah. I, I, and no matter where I go in the world, I'm still very proud of England wherever I go. So whether they talk about red buses or, oh, you're Queen. And I go, yeah, I'm our Queen. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Or Beatles. I'm like, yeah, I'm in there. You know? and like, yeah. And I'm just very proud of it. And it must have been for them back in the day when travel, like international travel was, oh, only for rich people. It must have been amazing for them to go around the world and just say, we've done that, we've done this, we've done that. It must have been quite a, an amazing feat for them. Full, reasonably ordinary guys. I mean, I know they weren't completely working class, but somewhere in between Ringo was, I know, he was. people always say he was the most working class. But So it's not like rags to riches completely, because they had reasonably good lifestyles. But yeah, but still, what a story. Like, yeah. it's like I heard a story with Ringo, and I want to talk about Ringo's drum sound in a second. I heard a story with Ringo that he used to, inside his lapels, in his teddy boy days, used to sew in razor blades as underneath the lapels. So when the gang's came and grabbed you by the scruff of the neck, uh, they'd slice their fingers. And I was like, that's Ringo Starr, the voice of Thomas the Tank and, you know, <laughs> Yellow Submarine. and Ringo Slasher. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's like the old, that programme that everyone watches, um, Peaky Blinders, man. It's that whole thing. People yeah. had all these little tricks and stuff. It's a bit scary, but I think the pool, as they say, back in the day, I think... Where he was living, because we did the Beatle tour, uh, uh, where he was living is is re- re- still renowned for being, you know, quite a hard uh, place. Right. And uh, and all the streets where he lives, I don't know if you've done this Beatle tour, it's amazing. We took a taxi, so it was just us. You could do the magical mystery thing, but you can't stop anywhere any longer. You can't go for a pee or anything. When, when you get in a taxi, you can say, I need to stop here for something, and you can do it. It's a bit more moolah obviously mm. but it was worth it and this one guy took us to where Ringo lived and of course it's all covered in we love you Ringo so. uh, but the whole street there's two or three streets all boarded up and it's actually where they film Peaky Blinders when you see those street scenes right. they film it there and it's just all boarded up and the taxi driver said you know even now you want he said you don't really want to be around here at night to be honest you know right and it's like whoa but he I think he had a really rough, rough time of it, Ringo, more than the others. I mean, I know Paul lost his mum and it's all rough in different ways. Of course it is. Yeah. But I think, yeah, where Ringo was, was very much like sort of the earth, you know, we were talking like <laughs> quite a, a tough time yeah. for him as a young man growing up in that period. And the other guys were going to a technical college and all that. And of course he didn't have any education really, you know, not really, because he was ill a lot of the time. So he missed out on a lot of schooling because he was so poorly. He had, he had really bad health when he was a kid. So he missed out on a lot of the stuff that the others got up to. But I think he still added to the the whole, because you got John with his art and his play with words, which I love. you got Paul with his music and again, play on words and George the quiet one, but very confident. And then Ringo just seems to be like, I'm just here, you know, but he kind of <laughs> took that on. And, and unfortunately that thing like Keith Moon is the animal and all that, but like Keith Moon said, Ringo was the original animal, you know, like, but people get these sort of um, typecast things, don't know these, yeah. uh, What's the word I'm looking for? But yeah. Um, and yeah, Ringo kind of was that in the band, I think. And there's John, Paul, George, oh, and Ringo on the drums, you know. <laughs> but he was much more than that, as I'm sure you're about to go into oh, now. He I, was much we, more than that. I mean, yeah, I thoroughly stood, when I, like I said, I was on that podcast um, a few weeks ago and uh, I th- was thoroughly in defence of all things Ringo. But what I wanted mm. to talk about was um, yeah. Levon yeah. Helm his drum sound oh. and um and, and that Ringo had said to him I I want that drum sound and I don't know how you get it and, yeah. and and I don't I don't know if you can explain it to uh to me to us what that drum sound is it's it's there's something about his kick and his snare yeah that's it, it's very it's placement it's placement it's it's touch right. you know those two things I think are key Technique, of course, is important, but neither of those drummers had a mass of technique to throw out. So the band couldn't suddenly stop and say, right, Levon Helm's going to play a 10-minute drum solo, or Ringo Starr's going to play a 10-minute drum solo, but Shea Stadium girls, we're off to the bar. You know, that's not going to happen. They weren't those sort of drummers. They, they'd, they'd been through, you know, backing singers. You know, now it's going to sound, here we go. But it's not really around now. And it's a real shame, but we're getting it in other ways, of course. But back then, you know, those, those drummers would be employed to play like 
in in a club, let's say, for instance, there'd be the backing band. So you might have Ollie on the organ and they'd have to play with him for half an hour. Then they'd get someone who's going to come out and do a swing set. So they'd play this sort of like very sort of stiff swing or whatever. And then someone would come out and play more rock and roll. So they had to play all of these different things. And they were listening to all of these different things. And they were pulling it off to a certain degree with very limited technique. If you listen to that Star Club stuff, they had to back up all kinds of people, mostly rock and rollers to be fair, but still they'd be playing all different fields, 12-8, swing, shuffle, brushes. Uh, And those kind of things are lost now because most people say that's old people's music. I'm not playing that. But when you were that age of 16, 17 back then, you got a chance to gig for the money and the girls, you went out and did it. You know, and I think... Those drummers had all that experience in club land uh, that when, when they landed bands, literally, uh, and the Beatles that were going to do something with the right people out the front, all of a sudden they could bring all of that wealth of knowledge into their playing. The same as, you know, John and Paul brought all of the, the show tunes into what they did so they could write tunes like Honey Pie as well as like Rockers and stuff. It's just that experience. And I think both Levon and, 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 and uh, Ringo, of course, there were no click tracks back in the day. They were the click track, as Ringo always says, I'm the click track. So they were the engine room. So they were only as good as the people around them, I think. And and you've got to hold your own sometimes and play through if someone's not doing their thing. But again, those two uh, drummers landed with musicians that were totally doing the right thing. And it was like hand in glove. All of a sudden, you know, they're playing what's right for the song. And it's just inherently within them there's no kind of thought about it you know you don't think about oh this is a a crotchet groove this is going to be a quaver groove this is a trip you just play what needs to be played for that song and there's like an inner knowledge which they had and a a love of dynamics know when to come out of the you know the stocks playing loud know when to stay in and i just think some of that you know i spend so much time as you may may know like doing drum stuff in clinics and drum chats and all that and i love it all you know, and it's a technique is everything. I would never say to someone, don't get a teacher or throw away the drum books. They're there for a really good reason. But there's also this sort of gray area where some people come along and like that, those drummers, and, and they just got this feel that you can't learn, yeah. you know. So no matter how fast you can play a paradiddle or your double pedals or whatever you can do well or jungle or whatever, you know, drum and bass and all that, it doesn't matter, or blast beat. This is a different thing and you can't quantify it. Yeah. And it's a, it's a, alive in all musicians, but we like to go back to these drummers because, to be honest with you, when I'm in a studio, I've, I've said this many times, but, you know, when I'm working with singer-songwriters, uh, it depends on their genre, of course, but a name that comes up a lot is is Ringo, you know, and and actually Levon, but Ringo a bit more, but they're both the same kind of drummer, and Jim Keltner. They're, they're the same kind of cats, as they say. Mm. And they'll say, can you give me that Ringo thing on this song? And I'm thinking, well, this style isn't really that. Yeah, but I want that lazy backbeat, which comes to the next thing I was going to say about placement, because these guys don't play to click. They never did. They play by feel and by what they're hearing and responding, like jazz musicians did. You know, all right, they're not technically like, you know, on the ball as a jazz player, but hey, they've got the feel of a jazz player because they're moving with the music. When it's exciting, they're pushing that music. When they want to bring it back, they're bringing it back and they're they're just holding it. You know, all of those... All of those jobs, you, you you know, as a teacher myself and lecturer, you can't teach that. You know, you can to a certain degree, but you've either got it or you haven't, yeah. you know, and these people, and it's rare. I haven't got it all the time. No one has, you know, but these these guys just seem to have it and they were in the right gig for it. So, you know, we could say our, our beat is there and that's fine. You know, we're on it. Boom, boom, ka, boom, boom, boom. Ka. But they just had this... This idea of playing behind the beat before it was even a thing. So if there was a click, they'd be slightly flamming it because they'd be slightly in front or behind whatever they wanted to do. And that, that, that's the thing that when I, people say, give me that Ringo thing. And I go, what do you mean? They go, well, not necessarily the sound, but you know, that thing that you're just holding back, Mm. that plastic ono band feel that you're just on, just going to lose it, but you're just behind me, but just enough. Uh, And that's hard. Because then you got to do it to a click, which they never had to do. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really hard. But that is the thing. So for, as I say, for people that, you know, haters is a strong word, you know, but people who don't get it, that's what these guys do. Mm. They're not going to say, as I say, drum solo. That isn't what they're employed for. They never were. And then there's a, the touch as well. They just got a certain way of tuning. Of course, the engineers have got a certain way of making them sound like they sound. That, that's obviously very true as well. But it's still 
you know, men and women, whoever we talk about with bits of wood in their hands, turning them around, playing on a drum kit. Yeah. You know, it's it's about that, you know, and everyone does it differently. That's a wonderful thing about music. But certain people like that will always raise their heads above the parapet because it's just such a rare thing. And I work a lot in the studio, man, and I'll tell you, of all the drummers, Steve Gadd, some amazing drummers you could reference, you know, from all different eras and genres. But Ringo is one that comes up a lot, right. hell of a lot. And I'm just so glad that I understand what it's about. Because yeah. if, you, if you turn around to that performer and said, oh, man, the Beatles suck and Ringo, man. I mean, what's that doing to your session? That's <laughs> immediately killing the vibe yeah. and probably killing your job. You know, that isn't what this is about. And again, people have asked me to do things from drummers and bands that I've maybe not personally like or or know much about but by the time i've left the studio i've learned something about me and about a different band and drummer that i think actually that's really cool i'm gonna go home get on ebay and buy an album or amazon and but you know buy the vinyl or whatever yeah um and that's a good thing but that's what those drummers are about that that that's the magic that phil collins has got it too you know there's so many we could mention we could have a whole show just on oh dude i've just i've just i've just come out of phil collins hole <laughs> um, uh, Big, big thank you to Robert Bryan, who was my guest this week on The Giant Pod. This was part two of a two-part special with Rob. So if you haven't heard part one, then make sure you go and check that one out. We're not going to do the usual jargon at the end of this because it's in the end of part one. So if you want to know more about Rob, you want to hear more stories about Rob, you want to hear some stuff that he's played on, head over to part one of the podcast. It's all in there for you. Big shout out to Harry Williams for producing two podcasts this week. We will see you next week on The Giant Pod. Thanks very much.